More details begin to emerge about the FBI's raid on Mar-a-Lago. We discuss the true cost of student loan forgiveness. And then we want to cover a story about a trans pedophile that is still free after an attempted child sexual assault. I'm your host, Zach, and this is Zach's Fact Shack. Hello and welcome back to Zach's Fact Shack. Guys, we have a lot we need to cover today, so we're going to get into it really, really quick. But before we do that, go ahead and remember to like, subscribe, and comment. If you're on YouTube, I would love to see some comments from you guys. Let's get the algorithm to be happy with the videos. Let's get this spread. Let's share the posts all over your social media. Let people know about what you're seeing and what you're hearing from these episodes, the information that you're getting. I would love to be able to hear back from you guys and to see what you're seeing uh, as you give these, this information to your friends and what you're finding out um, and how they're taking this, this information as we talk about it. I would love to be able to hear from you guys with that. Uh, again, the best place to find me is going to be zaxfactcheck.com. That's where you're going to find links to all of our outlets on Amazon, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, YouTube, Anchor, wherever you want to go, you'll be able to find all of that there. Um, that is the best place to find me. So remember, zaxfactjack.com. Let everybody know about where you where you have found us and let them know what's going on. Now, without any further ado, let's go ahead and get into our first story. And guys, more information is coming out about the Mar-a-Lago raid on Trump. And most of it is truly, truly not good. I want to go back and I want to do a timeline. I actually got most of the information from Glenn Beck and his TV show. I want to make sure he has credit for it. Um, but I want to go in and I want to talk about what has happened and why it, this, why the FBI has chosen now uh, of all times to go after Trump, right? It's been it, the first thing that we heard was that he was, they were going after, um, national secrets, right? And then they clarified and said, well, that was, they, they were going after national secrets that happened to be um, nuclear secrets, uh, which honestly, I don't think anybody with half of a, half a brain believed any of that at all, even for a second, because look, the security around uh, nuclear codes, even for a president is ridiculous. Ridiculous, right? Everybody thinks that the new, that the president has the ability to release n- nuclear weapons just whenever he wants, and he doesn't. There are multiple safeguards that multiple people have to do before any um, before any release of nuclear weapons can take place. It's not just the president, though. He has to do it. Someone else has to join him in that in a separate location. They can't be in the same place. It, it, there's all kinds of rules that are required before any of this can take place. So it's unlikely that Trump ever had any nuclear secrets that he took home because, again, this thing is called the nuclear football, right? All of this is you know strapped to people's hand, you know, arms and bodies, and it's with them at all times. They can't get rid of all these things, all these precautions, all these rules. It's highly unlikely that he ever had any of those at his Mar-a-Lago uh, location, but we are now finding that it is possible he had other documents there that um, would be equally as damaging for the government, um, and that's why they actually ended up raiding his 
house. So let's go back and look. So first off, let's talk about classified and unclassified documents. There are multiple levels of classified documents. I can't go into them because I don't know all of the information, but there are, you know, secret, top secret, uh, confidential, all of these things. And each of those are different levels of who can see, who can't see, right? They're all very important classifications of documents. <coughs> Excuse me. Oh my goodness. So the information that we have is that the accusation is that Trump had classified documents in his Mar-a-Lago home uh, and that that was, you can't do that. That's against the law, all these things, right? So what we know is that on January 19th, Trump declassified certain materials related to FBI's crossfire hurricane investigation. And if you don't know what that name is, what the crossfire hurricane investigation was, well, guys, that was Russiagate. That was the investigation that was desperately trying to prove that Trump had cheated with the help of Russia to get elected because the left could not accept that they had lost the election, that somehow out of the blue, well, red, I guess in this case, out of the red, that Trump was able to take this election from them. They did not see it coming. They thought they had it in the bag and they just could not fathom that Trump had been able to win. So since they, since he did win and they knew he had won, despite whatever they were trying to do outside of it, I'm not making any claims, despite all of the efforts of the Democratic Party and the leadership thereof and the votes that they were able to garner, Trump was able to win right? And it just flabbergasted the left. They then go into a period of absolute chaos trying to figure this out, and they begin an investigation before Trump even gets into office. They begin an investigation into collusion that he reportedly had with Russia to get elected. Now, what we find out later and that ended up finally discrediting the whole thing and just proving that it was just a bunch of lies, was that the FBI started this investigation based off of a political hit piece gathered up by the Hillary Clinton campaign, approved by her, and then the, uh, act, the actual transition of that information to the FBI was also approved by her. We know all of that. That is all known facts. You can go look it up if you want. Um, that is all known information. Then um, the FBI then leaked things to the press, had the press talk about it, and then got warrants and subpoenas based on the fact that the press had said that things were hap- that things had happened. So um, I think uh, Pelosi talked about it as a a wrap up smear, right? Where you, as a political agent, are going to release information to, true or false, it doesn't matter, release information to the media. The media then dutifully talks about it, smear your name, but then you come around and say, well, look, this is in the media. The media is talking about it, so that's what happened. And then the FBI uses that to start the investigation and to get going from there, which then plagues Trump his entire first uh, term in office, this, this investigation that was started on a political hit piece with literal lies riddled throughout the documents that they used. They even made up information 
to get warrants. They, the FBI absolutely lied to get what they wanted, and that was to try to get rid of Trump. That was the whole goal. That's all they wanted. They did not want anything else. They wanted to get rid of Trump, period. Now, what we know is from that point forward, again, they plagued Trump all the way through with all kinds of different things and leaks. And they they began with the Mueller investigation, right? They moved from the strictly the FBI to a um, separate counsel, right? I think it's a special counsel in Robert Mueller, who then basically did everything he could to make Trump's life miserable, um, right, wrong, or good or bad or ugly. It doesn't matter. That's what he did, right? He did make, try to make Trump's life miserable with the information that he had. Now, you can argue as to whether um, the investigation should have happened, whatever. That's, that's your program. You can argue that. I would argue that it should not have happened solely because it was based off of a political hit piece that was based on lies, not reality, not truth, just sour grapes from a, uh, from a political party that was losing. That's it. Now, on January 19th, Trump declassified, and I showed you this on the screen, Trump declassified documents related to that investigation, known as the Crossfire Hurricane Investigation or Russiagate. On January 20th, Trump leaves the White House and the government uh, has, a, has a, a, the GAO, I can't remember what it's, what it's actually called, what it's called. Um, anyway, they, they are just basically... Uh, they are non-political. They just kind of exist in the the government. But what they do is, when every when a president leaves, they pack everything up, put it all away, and ship it off to wherever they're going. Right? Because they have to transition the White House in just like a couple of hours. Right? They have to go. You know, at twelve noon on January twentieth, twenty twenty one. That's whenever Trump uh, lost the presidency and Biden was sworn in. Whenever Trump left to go to the inauguration, that's whenever these guys were working their tail off to get the um, election or get not the election, get the, 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 the stuff out of the White House and then get Biden stuff into the White House and to give him the house that he wants right, to be comfortable while he's there. Now, that's what the GAO does. Now, Apparently, on January 20th, the GAO mistakenly sent 27 boxes to Mar-a-Lago that should have gone to the National Archives. Now, conversations start soon after this uh, with the National Archives, basically trying to figure out um, what documents actually need to go back, what are Trumps, what are not, all of these things. Right? These are pretty congenial conversations according to all reports that we have. And so in January, so later on, uh, or in January 2022, this is a year later now, uh, Trump actually returned 15 boxes um, to the National Archives. Uh, these are 15 boxes that they had decided, yeah, these are all your documents that you need. You can have those, make them go away. Um, because what was supposed to happen is those 27 boxes were actually supposed to go to the National Archives to be redacted and released based off of the January 19th order of the declassification of those documents. So Trump sends back 15 boxes and keeps the rest, saying that these are fine, they don't have to go anywhere. And on then on March 24th, so we're going from January to March 24th, that is when uh, Trump actually files a RICO lawsuit 
um, against Clinton and other Democrats for the Russiagate infestation that they caused with their actions, right? They are absolutely responsible for these um, th- this investigation that went up against Trump. So Rico is racketeering and organized crime. That's like that's what it's that's what it's the, the, the law is uh-uh going after. So these uh, this investigation or this lawsuit that Trump has filed is saying that Hillary Clinton and a number of other people that he lists are uh, guilty of racketeering and organizing uh, the against uh, organized organized crime against Trump while he was being elected. Right? They were absolutely going against him, and they were organized and trying to basically do a coup against Trump. Well, that was March 24th. Then, oddly enough, the timing is really odd here. So March 24th, on April 7th, the DOJ opens an investigation. Well, they leak that investigation is opening against Trump for the mishandling of those documents that we were talking about earlier that had already been sent back to the National Archives. Now, that's a little bit odd, don't you think, that on March 24th, Trump files a lawsuit against the people who were basically responsible for Russiagate after, remember, the year before he had, before he left office, had declassified documents about Russiagate, right, and who was responsible for it. And now he's going after the, sorry, my chair's going nuts. Now he's going after the people that he believes are responsible for Russiagate with this RICO lawsuit. And then suddenly the DOJ opens an investigation into Trump. Oh, almost a year and a half later, Trump's had all of these documents. And a year and a couple months later, so what is it? So it's that's uh, April, so that's 16 months later, almost a year and a half later, the DOJ opens an investigation into Trump based off of these documents. Well, then in May, the DOJ then subpoenas documents from Trump. Now, not much goes with this, but uh, goes of this, but here's where it gets interesting is that on May 12th, the a grand jury is impaneled to subpoena the National Archives to see 15 boxes that were sent to them. So they impaneled a grand jury to subpoena the National Archives for documents that Trump had, but actually the National Archives had. That the... Correction had been made. The documents had been sent back to the National Archives like they were supposed to. But now a grand jury is granting subpoenas to force the National Archives to allow the FBI to search these boxes. Well, that's a little odd, but let's go on. June 3rd, so we went from March or May 12th to June 3rd. June 3rd is when the FBI actually takes a tour of Mar-a-Lago, and they look through the documents that Trump had left. Now, I just think it's interesting that beginning 
April 7th, just days after Trump files a lawsuit against multiple high-ranking Democrats over Russiagate, that the DOJ led, led by a person that was denied a Supreme Court seat based on Trump's election, who is, you cannot tell me, you cannot tell me that Merrick Garland is not sour, that he is not on the Supreme Court. You can't tell me that. And now he's the department, he's the head of the Department of Justice, and he is investigating the guy who did not nominate him to be Supreme Court Justice after being elected. In fact, removed his nomination and put his own nomination there, which was Gorsuch. You can't tell me that Merrick Garland is not set and sour about that. You're never going to convince me of that. Now, on January 3rd, that's whenever the FBI that Trump allows him to voluntarily look through the documents at Mar-a-Lago. On June 19th, Trump then appoints former national security official Cash Patel and journalist, investigative journalist John Solomon as official reps to the National Archives. Now, what that simply means is this. These two people were going to be sent to the National Archives to say, hey, we want to look at these documents too that have caused such a fuss with the FBI. We want to know what's going on here. So they were going up. But here's the thing. A couple of days after that, the Cash Patel is interviewed viewed online. Now, again, the RICO lawsuit is still going on at this point. It's not been concluded. It's still going on. Cash Patel is interviewed online and promises, so this is June 21st, promises to release unclassified documents from, uh, uh, regarding Russiagate. That's his promise. Now, what's interesting is that beginning in August, August 9th, so we move from June 21st down to August 9th, Paul Sperry, a journalist on Twitter ends up uh, being permanently banned after releasing this tweet that says, developing, investigators reportedly met back in June with Trump and his lawyers in Mar-a-Lago storage, in in the Mar-a-Lago storage room to survey docs and things seemed copacetic. But then FBI raids weeks later. Speculation on Hill, FBI had personal stake and searching for classified docs related to its Spygate scandal. Now, in an interview with Breitbart after his banning, Sperry said this, in other words, the FBI may be covering its own tracks while using the Presidential Records Act as a pretext for the Mar-a-Lago search. Now, I, I think that's interesting that Paul Sperry is permanently banned from Twitter for pretty well benign tweet. It's not like he did anything wrong there, uh, but he is permanently banned. He's still not on there to, uh, to my knowledge. Um, he simply said that it looks like the FBI has a personal stake in this case, right? That they, 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 they want Trump. They want Trump bad, right? And this simply says that that's there seems to be information that seems to point to that. There is definitely speculation of it, 
Now, that's not the end of that. Get, get a load of this. The FBI team leading the raid also led the Russiagate investigation. So the people that are doing this investigation into the documents are not the people who went and raided the house. The people who raided the house were the people who had been disgraced and discredited because of the Russiagate scandal. I don't know, but it would seem to me that the people who were doing the investigation are the ones who would do the search because they would have the most evidence, the most information about what they're looking for, right? Why would you send an entirely different team to this house to raid it and search it? Maybe it's because the people who are in charge of the document case against Trump with Mar-a-Lago are not as informed as the Russiagate team is on what documents they're looking for. Because maybe, just maybe, they're not looking for normal documents. Maybe they're looking for the documents that Trump had declassified on Russiagate showing who was behind Russiagate. I just wonder, I just wonder, I don't know. Don't know, right? It, I, I, I have no special knowledge, right? I do not have information on the Clintons. I, if I end up dead, I am very happy. I love my life. I love my family. I have no desire to die. I am buying a car in a week. I am looking for new op- to opportunities. I have no information on the Clintons. I don't want to die. Now that we have that out of the way, it seems interesting to me that the team that was disgraced while looking into Russiagate is the same team that is looking for the documents in this raid, but not the same team that is leading the investigation into the documents, which is an oddity if you ask me. I'm going to see, I'm going to talk to some people and see that might know more than me. I'm going to see what would be the standard practice in that case. Would it be the case, would it be the team leading the investigation doing the search or some random team that's never been a part of this investigation doing the search? But not just any random team, a team that was disgraced in the Russiagate scandal who I think there's, there's enough evidence here in my mind that you can probably connect those dots and say it looks like they might be looking for the documents that Trump is supposed to have declassified proving who did the Russiagate scandal. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe that there's, there's nothing, right? Maybe there's no information at all on that. But you have the FBI unit leading Mar-a-Lago probe also ran the discredited Trump-Russia investigation. That just seems a little too coincidental to me. You know, I could be wrong, but that just seems a little odd to me. Now, I want to show you a video of this before we move on to the next story that actually is from John Solomon. Remember, I told you about John Solomon. He was the journalist, that, along with Cash Patel, that went, were supposed to go to uh, um, the National Archives and basically mediate, right? Or what, figure out what was going on. They were going to be the official representatives of Trump there. Now, we already know that Cash Patel did an interview. Well, here's the thing. John Solomon just did an interview a few days ago, and I want you to listen to what he says. 
hey, they tried to jump the fence on this. The normal process would be you drop a grand jury subpoena on President Trump. He decides if he's going to comply. If he contests for executive privilege, you go to court. You let the judge work it out. The FBI decided they want to jump the fence on this. What they wanted to do was they wanted to get ahead of this and take the privilege off the table by having the current president, Joe Biden, waive the privilege for the former president, even though it covers conversations that when Trump was in president. So uh, they jumped the fence. They try to cut corners on this. What you see at this is at the ignition point of this investigation. This uh, investigation is ignited in April of this year. The Justice Department, the White House for Joe Biden, and the National Archives are all working together with the FBI. And the first decision Joe Biden makes that's consequential is, I'm going to let the National Archives send the materials of my predecessor, Donald Trump, to the FBI to start a criminal investigation. That's the first thing he does. Then the um, uh, Justice Department and FBI come back and say, listen, we got this problem. President Trump's probably going to claim executive privilege over these documents. We need you to waive it. And President Biden tells his counsel, I waive it. If the National Archives feels it's okay to send it over, they can waive the privilege on my behalf and send it over. And that's what happens. Right after that process is done, what does the Justice Department do? They launch a grand jury. They then send grand jury subpoenas to the uh, president, which are executed in late May. And then there's a voluntary visit on June 3rd. And then after all that, they go and they escalate to DEFCON 2 now. Now they go and they uh, execute a search warrant in uh, August. All the while, the president, former president, Donald Trump, is communicating, I want to cooperate. I have executive privilege claims I'm worried about. Can we have a court get involved in this? And the Justice Department, with Joe Biden's blessing, is blowing past that. You take that history. Now remember what was said on the podium of the White House the day the um, uh, raid occurred. We don't know anything about this. The Justice Department matters. This was a White House matter, and the White House was involved at the ignition point where this investigation started. And they took away the former president's best legal defense, or one of his legal defenses, executive. So that was the that that cut happened not not by me. That was what the video I found. So he, they took away his best legal defense, executive privilege. So the idea of executive privilege is that there are certain private things that take place in the executive. Uh, thing or executive office that are not questionable, right? That, you know, the, it's kind of like a, uh, attorney, uh, attorney client privilege, right? You have certain things that you can tell your attorney that nobody can ask. Nobody can find out that information from you or from the attorney. Um, it's the same way with executive privilege. Now, just like he said, if, if Trump had declared, nope, it's executive privilege, then it would, you would take it to the court, the court would say, eh, no, not in this case. You can't have that. And that's fine, right? That would be that you had a judicial process. You were able to figure it out. You were able to go through. And it's just that in this case, this is not executive privilege. And that's fine. That's how you do that. That's what you do. But in this case, the FBI went straight to Biden. This, remember, go back to our timeline. Let's look at our timeline again. When did this uh, investigation begin? Back in April. April 7th, whenever they, uh, it is um, leaked that the DOJ was going to have an investigation into Trump. Now, that means that Biden knew about this back in April. And not only did he know about it, he took an active part in waiving executive privilege of a previous president, something not even Trump did to Obama. It's a pretty big step 
to waive the executive privilege of an entire other administration. So he took an active role in trying to come after Trump. He absolutely did. Now, remember, Trump is the number one opposition candidate to Biden as it stands right now. Love it or leave it, that's what it is. Trump is absolutely leading in all the polls right now to go up against Biden. So not only is he the former president, he is the leading opponent to Biden. And Biden seems to be doing everything possible to harm Trump. Now, people will say that no one's above the law and that if he broke the law, he should go to jail. And you're right. You are absolutely right. But here's the thing. Do you honestly think that Trump should go to jail because he has documents proving that he was innocent of the Russiagate scandal and the documents proving who had lied about him and who had tried to enact their own coup to take him down? Do you honestly think that he should go to jail for that? That's up to you to decide. I personally do not think that there's evidence there that says that that's a thing that should that he should be going to jail for. And yet the FBI is using, they're not using a little chisel and a hammer. Trying to like, oh, we're just going to go in here and do this. They're not sculpting Michelangelo's David here, guys. They're coming in with a wrecking ball a la Miley Cyrus. All right? They are absolutely just came in like a wrecking ball, right? They are destroying everything. They have no understanding of a light touch, right? No understanding of that. They are absolutely trying to destroy Trump. Absolutely trying. Now, will they succeed? I don't know. We'll find out eventually. But my gut tells me that... They haven't been able to do it in six years, eight years almost now. I, I, I don't think they will. You know, one of my friends says that Trump has so many skeletons in his closet. Well, if he does, if he has those skeletons in his closet, I, how are they not going to be found by now with how much trouble the FBI, the DOJ, the IRS, all these people, how much trouble they give Trump, you would think they would find all those skeletons, right? And yet nothing, no skeletons anywhere. Now, again, let me preface this. I don't like Trump. I don't want Trump to run. I think he is a hot air buffoon. But I also think that regardless of him running or not, he should be given a proper treatment by the government period. I don't understand how this is that hard to get, guys. It just simply isn't that hard. Now, let's go ahead and move into our next topic. And that's simply this, that Biden has decided he's going to forgive up to $10,000 of student loan debt for anyone making uh, uh, less than $125,000 a year. Now, On top of that, if you received the Pell Grant, which is the vast majority of people with student loans, you will get up to $20,000 in debt forgiveness. $20,000. 
Now, have you ever wondered how much money that will cost the taxpayers? Because let's let let's let, let's go back to just reality. Nobody forgives debt. Somebody has to pay it. The debt doesn't just disappear, right? Either the person who incurred the debt pays it, or the person who lent the debt pays it, or someone else. Either way, the debt is paid always. Now, let me read this article to you from uh, CNBC, which simply says that Biden's student debt forgiveness plan may cost taxpayers an average, an average of $2,000, some policy experts say. Some policy experts were quick to sound an alarm after President Joe Biden announced a sweeping new plan Wednesday to cancel up to $10,000 in federal student loans for borrowers uh, with incomes under $125,000. Biden will cancel up to $20,000 for recipients of Pell Grants. The plan, these experts say, will cost taxpayers and does nothing to solve the tough unaffordability issues that plague higher education in the U.S. Quote, there's a transfer of wealth from the society at large to people who borrowed to go to college right now, said Andrew Lautz, director of federal policy at the National Taxpayers Union. That has consequences for consumers, Lautz said. It has consequences for taxpayers. Lautz published an estimate on Tuesday that found Biden's plan could cost the average taxpayer more than $2,000 based on the $10,000 forgiveness per student loan borrower uh, that had been touted. That is based on the assumption that policymakers would need to make up for the total cost of the forgiveness through tax increases, spending cuts, borrowing, or a combination of those strategies. However, the plan released by Biden on Wednesday could be even more costly to taxpayers, taxpayers lots said. This is due to the inclusion of up to 20000 in forgiveness for Pell Grant borrowers and a 5% cap on repayment of undergraduate loans in relation to monthly incomes. It will raise the costs or budget impact of the policy overall, Lout said. The National Taxpayers Union, Taxpayers Unions, estimate, let me start that over again. The National Taxpayers Union's estimate of cost per taxpayer is based on data from the Penn Wharton budget model, which found that total cost of proposed, of proposal, of the proposal could be $329 billion dollars over 10 years based on the $10,000 in forgiveness for borrowers it was less than 125,000 in income based on a total of under 158 million taxpayers in 2019 that works out to $2,085.59 per taxpayer the national taxpayers union found the Penn Wharton estimate is definitely going to increase based on the Pell Grant and income-based repayment features announced by Biden on Wednesday, Wharton professor Kent Smetters said. The Congressional Budget Office has yet to evaluate the total cost of the policy. See so again, we're, we're going right back, back, guys. This is this is the thing you you understand this that the debt doesn't just disappear, right? It doesn't just go away. Somebody has to pay it. All we're doing is shifting the borrowing from one person to the other. That's it. Now, what about those people that worked their tail off 
and got out of college with no debt or paid all their debt off. They don't get anything. They don't get reimbursed. They're just simply out of luck. That's it. They, they have nothing. So what we're doing right now is we are, uh, we are rewarding those who have wasted their time, whether that was by choosing a degree that doesn't pay or wanting to have a new car or a new boat or a new phone or new computer, whatever it is, rather than saving their money to pay off the loans or better yet, saving their money before they go to college in the first place. Now, don't get me wrong. I understand college is expensive, but I have a whole other reason for why that is. The government has got their grubby hands into the college economy, artificially raising the prices. Because let's let's face it, the university doesn't have to bid for you to attend, right? They know that you'll pay the money, whether that's through grants or loans or scholarships, they'll get their money. No problem there. They'll get their money. So they have no incentive to lower costs. Until the government gets its grubby hands out of this, nothing's going to get better. Now, let's look and see what did the White House say after this came out, right? All of this information, people are asking who's paying for this, right? Who's going to pay for this? Well, let's see what the White House press secretary has to say on that matter. Again, here's what we have done. Here's what here's a lot about how much it might cost, it might not cost. Who is paying for this? What we are saying is the the work that this administration has done, the work that the Democrats in Congress has done is actually there. And you see that the one point seven trillion deficit in deficit uh, deduction that you see is is going to benefit us in being able to do something for the middle class, to do something for the middle class. This is a about doing something for people who make less than one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars, one point seven trillion dollars. Has she dollars. said anything That's that makes sense yet? To do. But when you forgive debt, you're not just disappearing debt. So but, who is paying for but, this? And then I'll give you the second part. We lifted the pause, right? We're going to lift the pause uh, at the end of this year, which That's is pause going and to payments, matter, by the way, right? Which is going to offset uh, a lot of what what we're doing as well. Uh, when you think about the the four billion dollars that are going that's going to go back. Uh, into as as revenue back into uh, this process of folks uh, paying paying right their college tuition that matters as well. So we are doing this in a smart way. We are doing this in a way that's going to be effective. Uh, we are doing in this a way that keeps to the president's promise on giving people who need some breathing room, who need some breathing room. I just I just laid out I just laid out for you. No, Peter, I just laid out for you how we're seeing this process and why this matters. Again, I just laid out I just I just laid out because of the work that we have done in the economy, because of the American Rescue Plan, uh, because of uh, the Inflation Reduction Act, and because all of this work that this president has done is actually has brought down our deficit by $1.7 trillion, unlike what Republicans did when they added to our deficit $2 trillion and did not care 
at all or thought about how this was going to be paid for. They did not actually put in a process or thought think about how we're going to do this in a smart way. This is not how this administration is doing it. Again, we are happy to continue to have this conversation. But Okay, so I play that video, which was a two-minute and 13-second clip. And I think I know less about reality now than I did before I played it. She never did answer the question of who's going to pay for it. I don't care what your pie in the sky approach is or why you think this is going to be a good thing. I want to know who's paying for it. And she never answered that question. She never gave us a straight answer. Why? Because she knows the answer. And the answer is this. You. You're paying for it. You're going to pay for it in taxes. You're going to pay for it in inflation. You're going to pay for it. Not the deadbeat that decided to take take out a loan that they couldn't pay back. And I'm not saying everybody is. I'm not saying that. I'm talking about specifically the one who they knew what they were doing. They knew what they were doing. And they still did it anyway. They didn't care. Then you have people who took out loans and then partied their way through school, never got a real degree, and they just have a bunch of debt. Working at McDonald's, flipping burgers. Here's the thing. There are people who absolutely are being crushed by the predatory student loans. Absolutely. But here's my question. Is a person old enough at 18 to make a decision about student loans and the cost of those student loans, or are they not? Because if they are old enough, fine. We don't forgive the debt. If they're not old enough to make that simple of a decision, how in the world are five-year-olds old enough to tell you what gender they are? Everybody's like, oh, it's orange, apples and oranges. Ah, no, it's not. In fact, knowing what debt is and how to interact with debt is far less important than having your body mutilated by treatments of surgery, hormones, uh, and, and encouraging mental disorders. Yeah, that's a lot more deadly and a lot more dangerous and harmful than not knowing that this is a predatory loan because it's exactly what it is. It is a predatory loan. People who are giving student loans know that the student wants to go to that school. They know that they don't really understand how interest works, how, how much they're going to be paying, and they don't really care. They want to go and have their fun, and here's the debt. Oh, crap, I have debt now. What do I do with it? Well, you pay it off. Well, I can't afford to. It's too much. Like, okay, well, you should have thought of that. Well, I wasn't informed. Okay, cool. Well, then you should help others get informed and let them know that they shouldn't do it. That's what you should do. Not make me pay for your loan. I got out of college with no student debt. Why should I have to pay for yours? And it's not because I was wealthy. It's because I went to a local school and used Pell Grants because I was from a lower income family. I had great grades. So I had scholarships. 
and I worked my tail off. It's straight A's. So, no, you don't get to make me pay for your mistake. I'm sorry, you just don't. Now, if you came to me on your own and personally said to me, look, I am working and I am still drowning. You know what? I might help you. I might. If I had the ability to help you, I might do it. But I'm not going to be responsible for all of these people that are making these decisions, half of which just aren't working because they don't want to. The other half, yes, they are struggling. But they did make the choice, informed or otherwise. They still made the choice. I can't save them from that. If I choose to drink and drive, I know the consequences. Maybe I don't have to pay them. Maybe I do. I still understand the risk of it. It doesn't mean I should do it. Like, you have the ability to choose. It's one of the wonderful things about being a human. You have free will. You can make a choice. So then why would you make that choice? It makes absolutely no sense. None. I should not have to pay for these loans that I did not take out, that I did not incur the debt of. I should not have to do that. Sorry, maybe I'm mean, but I shouldn't have to do that. Now, I have one more story, and it's a doozy. So, let's just get into it. I'm just going to read the article because heaven help us. So, according to Redux.info, trans pedophile still free after attempting to meet child and baby for sexual abuse. Now, Berkeley police allowed a suspected pedophile to walk away from a sting conducted by predator hunters, despite being shown evidence that he had been expressing interest in molesting multiple children, including an infant. On August 20th, anti-pedophile vigilante group Predator Poachers uploaded footage of a sting they conducted in Berkeley, California, to YouTube involving a trans-identified male that had been purportedly seeking to meet a nine-year-old for the purposes of sexually abusing her. The girl was, in fact, a decoy established by the group as part of a months-long investigation into the man who went by the name Sophia Westfall. Speaking to Redux, Predator Hunter Alex Rosen says Westfall first contacted the decoy's Instagram account in April and soon after began initiating sexual conversations with the child. Rosen is a full-time anti-pedophile vigilante, and he and his small team have traveled across the United States conducting stings on predators since 2019. Ample evidence is, is gathered prior to a confrontation, and police are then called. Rosen told Redux that the sting uploaded to the, on, on the 20th had actually been conducted on June 7th, when he and his team were in California. Sophia was one of the reasons we we were in California, but we actually had multiple suspects in the state, he explained, noting that Sophia had been picked up by two different decoys on two different platforms, Instagram and Telegram. Rosen says both decoy accounts had been populated using altered and AI-generated photos. 
Rosen provided Redux a number of screenshots belonging to conversations Westfall had with the decoy. Westfall tells the girl that he masturbates to thoughts about her and suggests a number of ways he wants to molest her. I'm thinking of other things too, but maybe tickles too, Westfall wrote in one message. Kisses and touches all over. Kisses between your legs especially. Disturbingly, Westfall suggested that he wanted to sexually abuse the girl's six-year-old sister, saying, well, you know I love young girls. I'm just excited thinking how fun it could be to play in bed with both of you. The decoy then advised Westfall that she also had a one-year-old sibling, stating she's probably too young for sexual, let me put, quote, she's probably too young, end quote, for sexual activity, to which Westfall replied, quote, that doesn't bother me, never too young to start learning, end quote. While Westfall would ultimately establish a meetup with the decoy purporting to be the nine-year-old, he also communicated with a separate one of Rosen's decoys on encrypted, encrypted chat service Telegram. That decoy was also intended to be a nine-year-old girl. He sent some very illegal stuff to our decoy on Telegram, Rosen says, noting that it included extreme child sexual abuse material appearing to show a very young child very young children being sexually assaulted westfall also gave suggestions to the to that 9-year-old decoy on how to pleasure male genitals quote some people like stroking a hand up and down over it or you can wrap your mouth around the tip and lick or suck westfall says continuing it can absolutely be exciting The filmed confrontation took place at Strawberry Creek Park in Berkeley, where Westfall thought he would be meeting the nine-year-old he had been uh, interacting with on Instagram. Instead, Rosen and his team showed up with a bundle of evidence they had printed off. In the dramatic video Rosen uploaded to YouTube on the 20th, Westfall is seen wearing knee-high boots, a skirt, and a pink top, and a hat littered uh, with trans pride flag buttons. He immediately attempts to walk away from Rosen when he is confronted and is even defended by unknowing locals in the park who believe he is in need of assistance. Westfall continuously says, leave me alone, and I don't want to talk to you while hiding his face behind a medical mask. He refuses to answer any of Rosen's questions and simply paces across the park repeatedly. At one point, the police show up, apparently called by bystanders who believed Rosen was harassing an innocent individual. Rosen is seen trying to show police his bundle of evidence and explains to multiple officers what his investigation has uncovered, but disturbingly, police do not detain Westfall and allow him to leave the park, which is full of children, without resistance. Rosen tells Redux he was shocked by that decision. Based on what he had showed them, it should have been an instant arrest, especially with the lewd images he had sent. I have never had a predator who was trying to molest a one-year-old, and unfortunately, there have been a few that was not arrested on the spot, Rosen says. Quote, police said they needed to gather more evidence and check with the district attorney, but a place like Berkeley, like New York City, they are known for not locking up criminals. Predator poachers, Rosen's team of anti-pedophile vigilantes says they had calculated for uh, uh, they had calculated for a poor police response due to the location of the sting, but they had still been confident arrest was going to be made when the evidence was damning. I was well aware that I was do- what, that I was doing this catch in Berkeley, and I knew what that meant for cop response. But I thought even then, this is just too bad that cops are going to make an arrest. 
I was, I was that confident, especially with the suspect sending my decoy child sexual abuse material. But I was wrong, sadly. Predator Poachers has successfully initiated arrests in multiple states and that 80% of their other suspects he had confronted in California had been arrested the day of his stings or in the days that he spoke to police. But Westfall still had not been charged with any crime. I remember this was back in June, June 7th, I believe. He still hasn't been charged with any crime. This person said they wanted to molest a one-year-old. They sent child sexual abuse material on Telegram. There was horrific, horrific bleep. All I can say is we've gotten people arrested for a lot less. Redux reached out to Berkeley Police Department, which said, uh, which did confirm it had an open case number related to the incident and suggested the matter was still under investigation. While Westfall deleted the Instagram profile he used to contact the nine-year-old decoy, he has an additional account on the platform. While it is now defunct, the profile has was primarily focused on taking photos of women in public without their consent. Westfall also placed extremely sexual captions beside the stealth images and even featured photos of what appeared to be young girls he had taken. On Twitter, Westfall is still active in posting. Amongst tweets of uh, pornography, Westfall engages with trans activists and sometimes speaks on trans-related issues. The day after the sting, Westfall retweeted a post arguing it was Puritan sex negativity to try and argue drag and queerness wasn't inherently sexual. His profile features a link to a defunct WordPress blog he maintained titled Sofiko Sophia. In 2015, Westfall made a post to the blog in which he praised a book titled The Perils of Protecting Children from Sex. Guys, how? How? How in the world is this guy not under the jail right now? There are things in this article that are so disturbing, so terrifying. There are sometimes, I have always been a defender of the death penalty. I don't prefer anyone to die. But I do understand that there comes a point whenever you commit crimes so heinous that there is no place for you in society, that you have chosen not to have that place. This person has chosen that. Child predators absolutely should be sent to jail with the death penalty. I am not calling for violence against anyone. I am saying that if you are taken to court, and adjudicated and proven to be guilty, you should have the death penalty. No one should hunt these people down. And I do have somewhat of an issue with this group going and harassing people. But I understand why they're doing it. But I am not a vigilante supporter. I do have issues with this. But what they found should have been enough that the police should have acted immediately. But instead, instead, this person walks free. Who knows 
how many other victims they have or are working to have now. And yet we allow this person to walk free. That is not okay. It's not right. And it should be stopped now. All right, guys. I know that that's kind of a dark way to end this episode, but honestly, I don't know what else I can tell you. I don't know what else I can say on this topic. I have given you all the information. I've given it to you to figure out what you believe about this. It's sick. It's disgusting. And I want you to figure it out. I want you to talk about this with your, with your friends. I want people to know that this is something that is happening in our country. And it's not okay. It is not okay. But that is the end of our show. We had, I told you it was jam-packed, right? We, we've gone a little bit longer than normal with this episode covering a lot of information, a lot of details on a lot of different things. But... That's it. That's all I can do for you today. Remember to like, subscribe, and to comment on YouTube. Let YouTube know that you're here. I'm Zach, and this is Zach's Fact Shack. We'll see you next time, guys.